0: Ed Flash Ferens
1: UAW on the move in the south. Over half the employees at the VW plant in Tennessee want to go union. What farmers in France are doing to protest declining incomes. And today on the show, the latest from the American Federation of Teachers and the man behind the Working People's Podcast. Welcome to the Monday, February 12th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today, and I am very happy to report our first guest is going to be the Secretary-Treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers. We're talking about a union serving 1.7 million members, including pre-K through 12th grade teachers, paraprofessionals, and other school-related personnel, higher education faculty, and professional staff, along with federal, state, and local government employees, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. And that person is Frederick Ingram. And I'll tell you, he's got an interesting journey. And this is just a series of interviews that we've been doing here on the show, profiling black leaders for Black History Month, which is this month. And uh, his journey, well, Frederick Grew up in inner-city Miami, where he attended public schools. He became a music teacher and band director in Miami-Dade Public Schools for 10 years. In uh, 2013, he was elected president of the United Teachers of Dade, which represents employees of the fourth largest school district in the country. He's also the immediate past president of the Florida Education Association. And since becoming secretary-treasurer, which happened In 2020, he has amplified the voices of AFT members from coast to coast, especially on education, labor, and racial justice. In fact, last year, President Biden appointed Frederick Ingham to the Presidential Advisory Committee on Advancing Educational Equity, Excellence, and Economic Opportunity for Black Americans. He currently serves on... The executive committee of the AFL-CIO's Transportation Trades Department, also on the board of Union Plus. In June of 2022, he was elected to serve as a vice president of the AFL-CIO's Union Label and Service Trades Department. He was also elected, same year, 2022, to serve as a trustee on the board of the NAACP Foundation. Man's got incredible credentials and, uh, what we're going to talk about the importance of having diverse teaching and a diverse teaching staff and the impact of black teachers on students today, supporting diversity and DEI measures and the impact of anti DEI efforts on black teachers, retention and recruitment. So, uh, Fedric is going to be our first guest later in the show. We are uh, going to link up with Maximilian Alvarez, Max Alvarez. We had him on the show. I want to say about maybe a month ago, and he was doing a marathon on his podcast. It's called the working people's podcast. He's also editor for the real news network, real news, the real is your website, and he was doing a uh, pretty much a fundraiser for the residents in East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is the recently formed justice for East Palestine residents and workers and Max's national campaign to demand that president Biden, who's going to visit the area later this week, demand that Biden issue a major disaster declaration for health care under what's called the Stafford act for all the residents in that area and the surrounding area, which If it happens, it would allow the residents and the workers who were sickened to get health care from the federal government. Meanwhile, the Justice for East Palestine residents and workers will be hosting a national conference for the people of East Palestine. That's going to be in March, and Max is going to talk about that. The other story he's going to reference is uh, what's going on in a seattle-based chain called homegrown sustainable sandwiches now (laughs) their mission was to create a more sustainable food system however their business model is not sustainable for workers workers at homegrown voted overwhelmingly to unionize with unite here local eight this was about two years ago and they've been fighting for a first contract ever since in fact Workers from two stores at Homegrown have been on strike since late last fall protesting the unfair termination of one of their union leaders who was fired after speaking up at a union delegation. Well, as of last week, workers at the Redmond Homegrown location, again, this is Washington State, they've been on strike for over 100 days and uh, Max talked to uh, several of them and for his working people's podcast and he'll uh, relate that conversation to us right here on America's Workforce. Good guy, really good guy. TheRealNews.com. TheRealNews.com is the uh, website you want to go to. All right, now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. A majority of workers at Volkswagen's Chattanooga, Tennessee, plant have signed cards to join the UAW, and this comes less than 60 days after the workers announced their campaign to form a union at the automaker's only U.S. assembly plant. Now, this marks the first non-union auto plant to publicly announce majority support among the dozens of auto plants where workers have been organizing in recent months. This effort sprang up in the wake of the record victories for the big three Auto workers, those who work there, in the UAW's historic stand-up strike. Got a comment here from Zach Costello. Now, Zach is a Volkswagen worker. He's also a trainer in the Chattanooga plant. He said, the excitement has been building, and now that we have reached 50%, it's just continuing to grow. New organizers are joining each day, spreading our effort to every area of the plant. He goes on to say, just because we're in the South, doesn't mean that our work is worth less, that our benefits should be diminished, or that we don't have rights. All workers should have a voice. And I hope the success that we're having here is showing workers across the country what is possible. Another worker, Victor Vaughn, said, we realize that the working conditions could be a lot better. Victor's a logistic team member at VW and the employees he went on to say well we don't have a say in any of the decisions that are going on with the plant we're not being recognized as a major resource for the company we have a very important job to put a vehicle on the road that our families are buying that our kids are riding in we take pride in what we do but we don't have a voice in how we operate and that's why this is going on that plant again this is the Chattanooga plant the one the UAW tried to organize 10 years ago, they have, uh, 4,000 auto workers and a clear majority of them have signed cards to join the UAW. Now this campaign, again, it's uh, part of a broader effort to unionize automakers in the South following the success of what happened last year. We're talking, uh, workers at Mercedes in Vance, Alabama, Hyundai in Montgomery, Alabama. They've announced public campaigns to uh, join the UAW, and uh, we talked about this recently, how the governor there says, well, we don't need the UAW. We don't need them. Leave our state. Don't bother the workers over here. They don't want you anyway. (laughs) How come they're saying so many things that are contrary to that, though? Let's go to uh, France now. This is an interesting story. Farmers there. French farmers' unions, I might add. Attempted to blockade roads into Paris to protest declining incomes, also strains due to environmental regulations, too much red tape, and competition from imports. Sounds pretty much like here, right? Hundreds of thousands of farmers parked tractors on key routes into the capital in an effort they called a Siege of Paris. The goal was to stop food deliveries from reaching supermarkets, thereby forcing the government to reach a quick resolution. Now France, which is the European Union's largest agricultural producer, is subject to the policies and subsidies determined by the EU. These include wave quotas and duties for Ukrainian imports in light of the Russian invasion, as well as green policies and animal welfare rules. Well, just recently after several weeks of protests, the two main farmer unions called for lifting the blockades in response to the introduction of new measures which make what they call tangible progress in protecting the livelihoods of the farmers. Now, the government has agreed to give a 150 million euro aid package for livestock farmers. My guess that's about... $160, $170 million in U.S. dollars there. This uh, package would pause a national plan for reducing pesticide use to ensure that the country is not overzealous in carrying out those regulations. And while the unions, the farmers unions, laud these commitments, a number of environmental groups say it's a step backward. So there's a tug of war going on there. But... Once again, once again, I say this so many times when I talk about what happens in Europe. Big difference with unions there. They have very, very strong unions to the point where, what you heard, they almost blockaded Paris. <laughs> Shut down the city for what they, uh, what they were demanding. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Secretary-Treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers. This is
0: America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
2: It takes LIUNA to build North America's infrastructure.
1: The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at
0: Ironworkers.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and and sign-and-display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org. O-R-G forward slash L-M-C-T.
0: Now, back to America's workforce. Here's Ed Flash Farrans. And remember, you
1: can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part, and how appropriate to the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, line number one. And welcome from the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, the Secretary-Treasurer of the National Organization, Mr. Frederick Ingram. And I'll tell you, he's got a very impressive resume here. And uh, in honor of Black History Month, we're going to really get into uh, what the AFT is doing to promote Black History Month. There's a lot. If you go to the website, AFT.org, oh my God, there's chock full of information there. But Mr. Ingram, welcome to America's World. I understand you know uh, Melissa Cropper, the president of the OFT, pretty well, don't
3: you? I do. One of the finest labor leaders we have in the country. She is fantastic and on our national executive board. So uh, a pleasure. And thank her uh, for sponsoring and, and, and being a long-time supporter of you all.
1: Yes, yeah, she's, uh, she's been a wonderful uh, addition to the show. And Randy Weingarten, I'll tell you, you got a super president there, no doubt about that. She's been on several times, so it's good that we're having more voices from the, uh, the AFT. You know, uh, I do this with a lot of the new guests. I'm almost all of them. I try to get a feel on their background and how you got to where you are today. And I was reading earlier that you grew up in inner-city Miami, You attended public schools. You became a music teacher. Talk to me about that part of your life. Education, was that something that your parents said, well, you know what, maybe you should find a career in that or maybe get involved in the union? Maybe your parents were involved in a union. Talk to me about that part, Mr. Ingram? Yeah, thank
3: you so much for bringing that up. You know, I, I oftentimes talk about my background, but not in terms of myself. Yes, I went to college. I was the first in my family to go to college. Education was very important. I found music early in my life. But I think the most important thing that people need to know is that my parents uh, uh, raised four boys in the inner city Miami, and my parents uh, never went to college. Uh, they were two city bus drivers, members of TWU, Transit Workers United 291. Uh, all their careers. My dad drove a uh, city bus for 42 years, only retired during COVID in 2021. And my mother drove for 22 years uh, d- doing the exact same thing. And so uh, union jobs have always been important to me. Uh, it was how we put food on the table, get the lights on uh, and were able to matriculate through school. And uh, as I mentioned, put uh, the first of their, their, uh, their four boys through school, which was me. And, you know, listen, we didn't have a, a, a whole lot, but we had each other. And so, uh, growing up in Miami, uh, the weather was great, but, uh, the prices as they are now were always high from housing to, uh, whatever else, uh, uh down there in Miami. But, but we had a great time. I had a really good upbringing, uh, grew up in the, in the city and, um, Uh, Here I am. And so always was a union member from day one Uh, when I graduated college, uh, went right to work and became a member of the United Teachers of Day. Did all of my teaching uh, down in Miami, all 10 years in the classroom and then uh, was was blessed enough to become a union uh, leader and and become an advocate for uh, the very profession that I love.
1: I, I know United Teachers of Dade is under fire right now, but before we get into that, if you don't mind, you, your passion for music and I did rock radio for about 25 years, and uh, right. I love music. I love music, and I was reading that. Uh, so do you now? But but yeah. on your side, you like to you like to play the sax. Talk to me about how did that happen?
3: So I do. So so I will tell you one story uh, from my upbringing. Uh, you know, I stuttered uh, way back uh, in elementary school. And I had a real bad speech impediment. And so uh, music, a music teacher, uh, my elementary school music teacher, Lydia Richardson, helped me find my voice, uh, helped me uh, learn to enunciate, helped me to slow down and breathe correctly. And she did it through music. She did it through singing. We had the best elementary school choir in uh, Miami. And so Uh, When I went on to middle school, I learned to play the clarinet. I learned to play the saxophone. And that was my passion. Uh, You know, I I always liked sports, but I was always too short, too fat, and too slow. And so music was my calling card. And it has taken me to heights that I could never dream. Um, More broadly, music is that universal language. Everybody likes something about music, whether you like rock and roll, whether you like country, or Mm -hmm. for me, it was jazz and contemporary arts. Uh, And that's where I learned the saxophone because I just, you know, fell in love with people like John Coltrane, uh, you know, Miles Davis, uh, Charlie Parker. All of those folks were my number one, uh, you know, go to's as a a kid. And so I I just think music is good for everybody and it really crosses all boundaries. Uh, No matter where you come from, your culture, your language, uh, it is that universal speak that we can all uh, uh, attract to.
1: Boy, you are so right about that. You know, it taps into a part of your brain that does wonders, especially those that suffer from dementia. Uh, I remember, I think Tony Bennett, the late Tony Bennett, uh, when he was singing with Lady Gaga. Boy, you know, he had a hard time, you know, having a conversation. But when the music started, everything changed. Everything Everything. changed. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, let's talk about... uh, Well, (laughs) I want to talk about what you're doing with Black History. There's no doubt about that, but I got... I got to get your uh, opinion on what can be done at the uh, United Teachers of Dade. Now, this is the fourth largest school district in the country. They're, they're under attack right now. How, uh, maybe in your words, what needs to be done here? I mean, the, the, the governor there has changed the dynamics, and it's making, very, making it very, very difficult for them to be certified. Can you, uh, can you help me out on that? What, what, can be, what can be done here to change that?
3: Yeah, so we have really bad public policy and very bad laws that have been enacted by uh, Governor DeSantis. And so uh, this anti-union law seeks to decertify all public unions in Florida. So it's not just the United Teachers of Data. It's all of our brothers and sisters in the building trades and uh, construction and, and the pipe bidders and communications. We're all having a tough time down in Florida because Governor DeSantis used this as a calling card for his national Uh, Ambition and and platform and so as we know uh, that did not go well in the in the national scope and so now we're having to deal with the residual the residual is that uh, unions have to recertify every year that means 60% of the unions you have to have a car drive and 60% of the unions have to say that I want to be in the union this is every year and the if you have a competing organization uh, that competing organization only has to get 30% of, of members to say that they want a union. And then they, they force it into a union election. All that said, uh, the United Teachers of Date has become the eye of the bullseye for our, our, our right-wing uh, people who, who don't like uh, unions for whatever reason. And so United Teachers of Date is fighting really hard. Uh, we have an outstanding president, Carla Hernandez-Matz, We have an outstanding state president, Angel Sparr, uh, who are really putting energy resources and people uh, down in Miami because uh, we know that the forces that are against our public service unions believe that if they take down the largest union, then they can take down all the other unions. Well, that's not going to happen because United Teachers of the Day, first and foremost, is my union. Uh, It Mm -hmm. is my home local. It is where uh, I was president and secretary-treasurer and a teacher uh, in that district. And so we have uh, spent the better part of a year uh, making sure that our members know exactly what's going on and making sure that they're up for this fight.
1: Is anything similar going on in other parts of the country? And to your point, you we, we have to stop this because if you don't, it's going to pop up everywhere. But I'm just wondering, I know you scour the map here to see what's going on in respective areas. And to your point, yeah, when you got somebody that's far to the right, like DeSantis, these kind of things are going to happen. But what, what do we know about other parts of the country right now?
3: We do well. We we've got bad legislation everywhere, but let me just say this: this is for those who uh, have been in the movement for a while. You may remember Scott Walker and uh, his attacks in Wisconsin. Well, this is Wisconsin on steroids. This is uh, you know something that we have not seen and that is becoming a blueprint for folks all over the country. So it, you know, the Southern politics is, is much the same as Florida where you see this attack on unions in Texas, uh, in Georgia, uh, you know, in some other places uh, as far off as Oklahoma, uh, and, and some of our other, uh, you, you know, more rural areas. Uh, but, but yes, we see certain attacks here and there, but this is again, part of the blueprint for what people who are running for office like Nikki Haley, uh, and others have said we want to not only expose what their word, not mine, expose unions and and, and try to uh, 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 eradicate unions from from the country, which, you know, listen, they're taking the voice of working people, of everyday people trying to say that you should go to work and not have any kind of advocation for yourself, any kind of rights for yourself. You should just go and be at the mercy of the boss. And that's mm-hmm. not something that we're up for.
1: And I know Andrew sparr has been on the show a couple of times, and he said there's been some pushback—I mean, a lot of pushback—in Florida, and also organizing. It's kind of, you know, lit a fire under under several unions here, and and they're they're really signing more and more cards here, especially when it comes to like the charter schools, because that's all by design.
3: I will tell you this: I'm super excited about what's going on in Florida because what we know is that people will not take this line down. And so our unions in a bill that was supposed to eradicate unions, that was supposed to get rid of all unions in the state of Florida. We are almost at 85% of where we were a year ago when this bill passed. And so we are moving, we are organizing, uh, people are excited. As you can see the national, uh, uh picture, for, for unions. Uh, is strong in all of the polls that we see. Uh, it's 70, 80 percent that our, our new generation of workers really want to be able to advocate for themselves. So all across the country, unions are growing. Um, and, and shame on Mr. DeSantis and others for not seeing the power of people uh, and, and, and moving in that direction so that we can grow the voice, of the everyday folks who are trying to take care of their families, who are trying to feed their children, who are trying to take care of aging parents and retire with some kind of dignity. That's what we're doing in in unionism, and that's where we are with organizing.
1: Yeah, to your point, uh, the uh, union density numbers came out from Washington just a couple of weeks ago, and the AFT organized 83 new units last year. In response to these attacks on unions. So, yeah, it's working. It's working.
3: Listen, it's a credit to Randy Weingarten um, and her vision and her voice uh, for being a fearless advocate. And she's going to go down in history as one of those folks who really, really saw what was going on and had a vision for a bigger, broader footprint for our unions.
1: Hey, don't slight yourself. You're, you're a secretary treasurer, so you can take some of the credit for that. You know that.
3: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, It's a team effort for all of us, and we all work together uh, to try to make this happen. But the AFT is absolutely one of the fastest growing unions in this country.
1: Frederick Ingram is his name. He's the secretary treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers. We're talking 1.7 million strong national website, AFT.org. We're going to talk about black history next and what's going on in various schools because of governors like DeSantis. Later in the show, Max Alvarez will be joining us. He is the host of the Working People's podcast. He's got a couple of interesting stories, including one about what he plans to do for the residents of East Palestine, Ohio. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
0: You're listening to America's
2: Workforce
0: with Ed Flash ferrans
1: The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org.
0: This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more.
4: Hire
1: Union Musicians! Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union Musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire Union Musicians! Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. America's workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Ferens with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. ULAgency.org is our website. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin. Mr. Frederick Ingram, who is the secretary treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers. Well, we're talking about Black History Month and the importance of uh, educating students today about black history. We need to point out, too, that President Biden appointed Mr. Ingram, this was about a year ago, April of last year, to the Presidential Advisory Commission on Advancing Educational Equity, Excellence, and Economic Opportunity for Black Americans. So let's talk. I mean, we got this attack going on. Uh, not just in Florida but around the country it's it's happening here in the state of Ohio as well but the importance of having a diverse teaching staff and the impact the impact of black teachers on students and schools today I'm gonna let you pick it up from there because I, I know you're very very passionate about this issue so go ahead sir
3: I am and thank you very much uh, for this topic listen having a diverse Uh, workforce in any uh, idiom of work is important because that is uh, America. That is what's happening in our country, and that's what's happening in our world. Every single culture uh, is important. Uh, It is the strength of us all, and we know that the impact of having a black teacher not only raises the level of awareness and culture and acceptance of everybody, but it also empowers that young uh, person of color to see themselves in a position of strength and a position of intellect, and it opens the doors to them. It really, uh, you know, the Pew study says that Uh, 80% of U.S. public teachers identified uh, as white in 2017 and 18, and only 7% is black, 9% is Hispanic, 2% is Asian. And we know that that's skewed as it relates to the demographics in our country. And so the more that we can get our schools, uh, our school employees to look like America, the more, uh, uh, I I believe, acceptance it will be for everybody. And those black uh, young, uh, young women... And and men in our classrooms need to see themselves in positions of strength so that they know that the sky is the limit for them. And so for far too many places in our country, you can go from pre-K to 12 12 and, and not see a black teacher. And that is unfortunate not only for black children but for white children because they need to understand that this world is about all of us. It is about all of us collaborating, and that's what schools do. Schools not only teach you the X's and O's of math and reading and science, but it also teaches you teamwork, acceptance, empathy uh, for others who who have and who don't have and how to work together and how we can all, uh, you know, get this thing we call education and make it better for everybody. And so that's what having a more diverse workforce means to me.
1: And I, I know you're working hard to achieve that, but again, we've got these attacks on DEI. How is that affecting the uh, the black teachers, I mean, it's got to be upsetting for them.
3: Well, it is, and I think we need to break down DEI and tell people exactly what it is. Too far uh, for, for, for far too long, we just say DEI, right? Diversity. What is wrong with having a diverse workforce? You you cannot credibly. Uh, and intellectually say that having a diverse workforce is not good for students. We know that all the research says, you can look at Pew, you can look at RAND, you can look at all of the higher-level research in all of our colleges and universities that says diversity is where we need to go and where we need to be. Equity. Why not have equity? Because we know that everybody doesn't start at the same starting line. And so there has to be some semblance of leveling the playing field for everybody. Be that kid, black or white, if they're from a low socioeconomic status, then why not pour more into a particular school or give resources to uh, those who who historically have not had? That's what equity is. And inclusion, inclusion is about seeing the other, seeing that person who has uh, maybe – Uh, some challenges or some obstacles. As I mentioned to you earlier, I stuttered, you know, and so getting that speech-language pathologist in that school, uh, providing career and technical uh, uh, employment opportunities for some high schools that, you know, are are low socioeconomic uh, statuses in terms of their community, Uh, providing uh, more counselors, more mental health therapists, providing community schools. That is what... Uh, inclusion means it means seeing the other seeing a person and accepting that and making sure that we promote that in many instances so DEI is absolutely important and for those who don't promote DEI will shame on you because what you're doing is condemning a kid you're condemning a family you're saying that you we don't want to see you you're not a part of this culture this country and what you bring to the table is not important and that's not what we teach in our classrooms that's not fair and, and shame on folks who would put their grandchildren and their nieces and nephews and the kid across the street in a classroom that does not represent DEI.
1: We're speaking with uh, Frederick Ingram, who is the Secretary-Treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers. Mr. Ingram, you know that uh, there's a number of uh, politicians, and um, there's school boards, too. You know the story. They're banning books, and it's almost like they want to erase certain parts of black history. And in some cases, find the teachers if they go out of their way and say, we're going to teach it anyway. How are you handling that? This has got to be really, really difficult for you.
3: Well, it is difficult, but let me start off with something really exciting at the AFT. What we have done uh, over the last few years, when we saw uh, these politicians developing public policy to close libraries, not hire more librarians, uh, ban books and prohibit. Uh, certain readings in classrooms, we started to give out books all across this country. And uh, to date, we are almost at 10 million books, giving out books all over this country through our through our uh, uh, local unions, uh, through school districts, uh, through partnerships in the community. Uh, just this past weekend in Fairfax, Virginia, we gave out 40,000 books to community members. And so what we're doing is asking parents to start their own home library to make sure that they get these books, all diverse books, all books that they can see their little ones in these books and read to them, read with them, and make sure that they're getting a well-rounded education while, at the same time, the AFT is pushing against this bad public policy. We're trying to open libraries. We're trying to get folks to, to hire librarians. We're trying to ensure that these books, uh, that they are so-called banning, are back on the shelves, but we've got to d- develop a public policy legislatively, uh, not only federally, but state and local. Uh, and we need people with courage who are in. Uh, who who are in these positions of power to have a value system that says that books open the world because that's what our campaign is called. It's called reading opens the world because it truly does and so it's the bedrock of all learning and we want our students to be the best that they can be and they need to read diverse books.
1: Mr. Ingram, I didn't realize uh, 10 million books have been given out. I know the OFT, the Ohio Federation of Teachers, embarked on a campaign and they gave out several thousand, maybe tens of thousands, but 10 million? That is quite an accomplishment, so uh, congratulations on that, and I see more of that, uh, more of that going on. Uh, in closing here, I'd like to get your message to uh, public school students, white and black today. It, it's sad that you have to overcome these things that are going on. I, I always say it's never a straight line. You've got to fight for, for what's right in this country, but uh, your message here in, in the middle of Black History Month. Go ahead,
3: sir. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Listen, black history month is something that we ought to hold as a shining light. Um, And there's been much said about, you know, identifying months or weeks uh, when it comes to uh, certain people, but we have a history in this country that we need to talk about. That has not always been a very pretty history. It has not always been a straight line, as you say, uh, and it has not always been favorable towards one people or another, but it is our history. And black history is American history. And so while we celebrate it in February, understand that every culture is important, that everybody is important, that we respect, that we hold true, that we understand that this is the value system that says by, for, and of the people. That is all the people. There was a time in this country where people who looked like me were, were not considered uh, human. There was a time where we were considered three fifths of a person. There was a time where we couldn't vote. We need to understand that. That's not a condemnation of others. That is an understanding of where we've been so that we don't take this country backwards. We need to go forward and forward is about justice for all. Forward is about recognizing everybody. Forward is about seeing those young people, for everything that they have to offer this country. And so that's what black history is about. That's what American history about, is about, and that's what our public schools stand for. We stand for truth and justice and honest history. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Frederick Ingram, Secretary Treasurer of the American Federation of Teachers, national website, AFT.org. You can also check him out on Facebook and on Twitter. Well, actually, X, AFT Union. All right. Mr. Ingram, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Let's do this again. Okay, sir? Absolutely. Absolutely. You let me know and I'm I'm here. Okay? Okay. You got it. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Max Alvarez hosts the Working People's Podcast. He is coming up next.
0: This is America's Workforce.
2: It takes Lyuna to keep America running. dot org The Alliance
1: for American Manufacturing is a non-profit, non-partisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple, strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Key word there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is Vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org.
2: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
1: This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
2: We are the U.S. We are the
0: U.S.W., the United Steelworkers, Steelworkers, the largest industrial union in North America.
2: We
3: represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper,
0: oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong. And fighting for what's right.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferrans,
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X. Formerly known as Twitter, that would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office. You know, Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies formed out of a need to provide affordable health care to teachers, to loggers, and miners. Well, in 1965, the Blues developed the National Labor Office to strengthen its commitment to organized labor. And today... Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office remains focused on America's workers advocating for affordable and equitable health care, partnering with strategic alliances to provide industry-leading products and services, and proudly serving more than 18 million unionized workers, retirees, and their families, working hard for America's working families for the health of America. You can learn more by following them at Blue Labor on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter all right let's go to line number two joining us from baltimore today is max alvarez he's the host of the working people's podcast and is also the editor-in-chief of the real news network last time we had him on the show we were talking about what he was doing for the residents in east palestine ohio that mission is continuing but max talk to me about uh, homegrown sustainable sandwiches i mentioned this at the top of the show i guess uh I guess the workers are not being able to be sustainable there <laughs> tell me what's going on there
4: right I mean uh, well first off, brother, it's uh, always great to be back on the show uh with you and uh yeah I guess for for folks listening um you know we have uh kicked off the new season of my show working people, and uh, I got to interview for on that show two workers. Uh, or one current and one recently fired worker at Homegrown Sustainable Sandwiches, which is a Seattle-based chain that, as you said, Flash, like, you know, it's in the name, right? I mean, it's in the founding of this this company, right, that it's meant to be more environmentally conscious. It's meant to, you know, like, it presents itself, this, this company, this sandwich shop, as, you know, part of a more sustainable, conscientious food system. You know, uh, uh, people like that. People respond to that, and you know the the, the sad thing is is that um, you know they are proving themselves to be among an ever-widening class of, you know, progressive-seeming companies or companies that make money off of their progressive branding that do not apply, you know, those quote-unquote progressive principles to their workers and to their uh, labor practices. I mean, I've seen this so many places flash, and I've talked to so many workers, uh, you know, who work at places like, you know, a vegan meat alternative company called No Evil Foods that just horrifically union-busted its workers' a couple years ago. Uh, Amy's Kitchen, a beloved brand that uh, vegetarians across this country love, uh, they closed down a plant in California where workers were unionizing. You know, I mean, Starbucks itself, which also originated in the Seattle area, has made for decades, right, This this uh, it's crafted this image as a more progressive, conscientious company, and that brand has really taken a massive hit in recent years because of what Starbucks has done to squash its... Uh, The union drive there and and violate its own workers' rights. Um, Now, homegrown sustainable sandwiches is another Seattle-based uh, business. I guess for folks who don't live in the area, it's, uh, as it was described to me by workers who I spoke with on my show, it's kind of like a super fancy Subway slash Panera kind of combined, right? So if mm-hmm. you go into these typical storefronts, you're going to have uh, workers who are making hot sandwiches, making salads, all, you know, with like, you know, like a, a, a humanely sourced uh, and, and, um, and sustainably sourced ingredients. They're meant to be clean. Um, it's to be clean food, all that good stuff. Right. Right. Um, and so, but you also have not just, uh, workers in those storefronts. This is a, a company that makes a, the, a lot of its money off of catering. Um, So you also have certain locations where you have entire, like, you know, basically assembly lines of workers, not just, you know, like uh, younger workers, but older workers, a lot of immigrant workers, people who are making sandwiches and stuff like that for massive parties day in, day out. Uh, So you also have that side of the business and what workers also told me, is that the, the the main source of income for homegrown sustainable sandwiches is DoorDash orders, and yet workers do not get tips on those DoorDash orders. So that is one of the reasons that they decided, you know, in 2022 to unionize. Uh, it is not the only reason, there are many other reasons, like, you know, the fact that they're making a little over $16 an hour in a place like Seattle, which is exceedingly expensive, including the inflationary costs we've all been dealing with of late. So workers are fighting for a, something closer to a living wage in this uh, after they unionized they've been in 2022 that was in december of 2022 they've been fighting for a first contract ever since then they had made a lot of significant gains at the bargaining table as workers uh, on my show sydney langford and perry um, to be exact told me but what is really peculiar here flash and then i promise i'll be quiet is like um what these workers told me was that they had, you know, made a lot of gains at the bargaining table. They had been hashing out this first contract, which, as we know, is very, very hard to get to for workers who are forming a new union in this country. And then in the end of October of last year, um, Homegrown Sustainable Sandwiches fired one of the most outspoken uh, and prominent union leaders in this union drive, Sidney Langford, who I interviewed on my show after she spoke at a union delegation. Now, it appears... To be a very clear case of uh, retaliation for organizing, although, of course, the company denies that. They say that Sydney was, you know, quote unquote, aggressive towards a manager. Um, but, you know, basically, they fired Sydney. And since then, late October, workers at Sydney Store, the Redmond store, have been on strike for now over a hundred days. And even workers at another location in Tequila, Washington, have also walked down on strike in solidarity with the Redmond store and they've been on strike for almost a hundred days. And and this is the thing holding up the first contract. They told me that like we've got like we basically like reached the finish line with our contract, but now homegrown is putting us in this really despicable situation where essentially workers who have fought for this union and fought to get to this first contract are now being forced to pit their desires for that first contract against their solidarity with one of the union leaders who helped them get to that point because they are on strike demanding that Sidney Langford's job be reinstated. Um, but they are also saying that that's basically the whole reason for the past hundred days that they have not been able to, lock in this contract and so this has been flying under the radar it has not gotten a lot of media attention only a little bit from the seattle times and the local uh um news station, but I got to speak with these workers and I highly recommend folks check it out because they talk about the working conditions there, why they unionized, um, what they're fighting for in their contract, which is really exciting. I can talk about that in a second if you want to, if you want, but like, this is the struggle at homegrown in the Seattle area that I covered on my podcast.
1: And this is what Max does with the Working People's Podcast. He interviews workers about their lives, jobs, dreams, struggles. This is a perfect example of that. Let me ask you this. Uh, is, is the store open? I mean, what are they doing if, if if these folks are on strike?
4: My understanding is that the Redmond and Tequila stores are not. I mean, like, at least last that I checked uh you know they they uh are listed as uh not are temporarily closed on google um but you know they, this is a a, a, lo- a location or these are locations where workers have gone on strike before in fact and actually that is uh something that that the workers also told me is that they made a lot of those gains at the bargaining table in the past year right because this is It's like the Starbucks workers, like, and like, you know, for any worker out there that's thinking of unionizing their workplace, you know, we try to be open and honest, as you do on your amazing show, right, about the struggles that they are going to face. And it is a very uphill struggle in this country, the United States, to form a union at a non-unionized store. And so these workers have been through a year of just fighting to get recognition for that union, to do an NLRB election. Then after that, they've been fighting to get to that first contract. And then they've been on strike for the past hundred days to get their one of their, you know, like uh, co-workers and union leaders, their job back. So this has been a long, drawn-out fight. But amidst that fight, workers have also gone on targeted strikes at these stores in the past, and that is how they, they achieved, um, you know, they, they they got gains at the bargaining table that the company was previously telling them they would never ever get, including just one that I would highlight, or two rather. You know, these these workers are typically making just over sixteen dollars an hour, which is like a um, the, the the minimum over there in the Seattle area, um, but they had now negotiated up to a base pay of 20 That's a whole lot better. They, you know, Workers still deserve more, but that's still really important. It's something the company said they wouldn't be able to do. Then the workers go on strike. Now, all of a sudden, the company's saying, okay, we can find the money to pay you a base pay of $20. But one thing that i had never seen, Flash, and I, I, I would ask folks listening to this, if you guys know about other examples of this, please let me know because I've been doing this work for years, and I've never actually seen this kind of detail negotiated in a contract, loan a contract for workers in the service industry, but I thought it was really interesting and and incredible to hear from these workers that I spoke to that, as we know... Climate change is not going away. Uh, it is, it is, you know, like upending life as we know it. And uh, the U.S., like so many other parts of the world, is getting hotter every single year. And that is especially true of the Pacific Northwest. Let's not forget the record-breaking heat dome, you know, and, and the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest in 2021. But it's been, you know, like scorching every every summer ever since then. So if you're a worker in a, uh, you know, sandwich shop in the boiling hot Pacific Northwest, you know, Saturday Sadly, this is not an area, the Seattle area, where it's just rainy and temperate all the time like we thought it was in the past. That's not the reality of living in the age of climate catastrophe. So these workers are in stores that are reaching up to 80, and even in the 90s, in the stores, you've got resting ovens, you know, at, at 500 degrees, you've got smoke filling those kitchens, and um, workers, this, was, this has been a really big issue for workers who, you know, like our, our not able to work in those conditions. And so what they have done, the union um, in its negotiations has actually negotiated a heat pay provision that would peg time and a half and double time paid to how hot it is in the store. So workers would actually get paid time and a half whenever the in-store temperature reaches 82 degrees Fahrenheit. And like, that's a really interesting and important advancement, I think. And it shows that not only are workers in the service industry unionizing, but they are also innovating what labor can do. And I really encourage folks in the movement to look at what, workers at home Growth sustainable sandwiches are doing, but also support them because they desperately need publicity. They desperately need help to stay on strike. You can find the strike fund on our, uh, the last episode that we published and just make sure folks know about it because this is a struggle that has, even though workers have been on strike for a hundred days, this is fall. This has, um, gone under the, the, the radar and these workers are not giving up. They're not backing down. Um, but as they told me, they do need help. And you can
1: check out those stories on Max's podcast, Working People. Just check that out, Working People. Max, we're just about out of time. I know we want to talk more about East Palestine, Ohio. Biden is visiting that area later this week. We'll set up another time. So you take care. Stay safe. Stay strong. Okay, brother? Right back at you, brother. Thanks for having me on. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Communication Workers of America. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group.
2: Find out more information online at labortools.com.